This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start talking dirty. I don't grow that many woody things. But well, I wonder what this is. <laughs> yes, was, was this what you were thinking of when we... It we, was, we yes. Yeah. Um, right, so let's, uh, let's have a little quick recap. We were having a chat off air before we started uh, this podcast and uh, Alan had received an order from Plantson's Preference and he was, well, first of all, ecstatic about the packaging and how beautifully it had all been put together. But there was a, a plant in there alongside your order. There were three. <laughs> that you were intrigued by and Tim mentioned that these might you know make an appearance or might be yeah. mentioned over the course of the podcast so we're, we're talking box and I've never been one for clipped box hedging edging topiary or anything but right outside my office window here um, I'm very grateful to my mum 30 odd years ago for planting this one uh, it's Buxus sempervirens elegantissima which is reasonably common, available plant. It's got this this bright, creamy white margin to the, the leaves. And it's, what is it now? It's, well, it's taller than my window here, so it's probably eight, nine feet high. And it just gets cut as necessary so that I can still get past it. It's never been clipped as such. But I'm, I mean, everybody's ripping out their box hedging because of blight and moth and who knows what else is eating box. But... I'm definitely seeing a, a pattern that those that are clipped are getting everything going wrong with them. And those that are left grow on their own largely are mostly escaping the pests and diseases. So yeah, I can cope with that. Um, yeah. This one, I'm, I've propagated a few because we wanted to try some up the nursery as well, rather than just here at my house. And it's, I mean, this one, I say it's 35 years old, doing really well. Um, and it's, it's a good, evergreen winter plant and it's nice to have stuff that looks good right outside the window in the winter um just past it i've got a cornus winter beauty um and that's gone up into sort of small tree type scale so it's always good to have winter interest where you can see it right from the house windows but what i haven't got in the house is this form which is one that i sent you um which again i posted online on Instagram and that the other week, which is, I think is where you saw it. But it is. this is one which I've had 25 years or something. You can probably see, if I try and get them together, hold them back a bit. Yeah. Elegantissima is a really dense, bushy, twiggy plant. This other one's much more open. It's, it's more arching, um, heads towards pendulous at times. And again, it's got a marmite type variegation on it. You see, it produces entirely creamy white shoots, which in time will usually die off and need just snipped out if they're offending you. But it also produces, and there's a little tiny snail on there. You can tell it was tipping it down here yesterday, can't you? Um, <laughs> this more more typical splashed random variegation as well. Um, yeah. Now, this is one that I got mid-90s when I was briefly worked for somebody else between leaving school and starting the nursery. I have to say, I can't remember for certain which variety it is. I think it's Buxus sempervirens aurea pendula. I've not had anybody disagree with me on that yet. 
but we've got this planted out on the nursery it's it's sheltering our shade house to some extent and it's now taller than the shade house so it's eight feet plus there and it just makes this lovely open arching cascading shrub um i would say 99 percent of people who've looked at it haven't realized it's a box um so it's very different to the sort of clip topiarized type ones um, that's exactly what I, what I wanted it for tim to put in the winter garden because we had our we had our snowdrop day here last Sunday. And I mean, we had an amazing, well, we had over a thousand people come to see. And, you know, that proportion of people, there's masses that hadn't been to the garden before. And I was in the winter garden and we were talking about various plants with somebody in particular. And people kept coming through and saying, this part of the garden is fantastic because we concentrated, um, I suppose, winter interests all in one place, not hither and there and the rest of it. Um, and it's nice because you can actually, I mean, I'm lucky that we've got a garden big enough so that we don't have to go into the winter garden in July, for instance, if we don't want to. Mm. Um, but, you know, the seasons, obviously, they overlap. But I wanted that particular box there, which is, um, as you say, it's Oreo Pendula, um, which I think would, is going to, well, I know, I know, I know exactly where it's going. Um, and it's going fill to fill a vacant spot where a, a ropey old conifer has been removed. <laughs> yeah, well. um, but we've been going through the winter garden, actually. And I mean, I think if people are interested in winter gardening, I mean, the primary thing to think about is foliage rather than flowers and, and fruit. But you can think about fruit a little bit. I mean, think about some of the berries, not all the berries that are produced on plants. Um, you know, they don't all get eaten by the birds straight away kind of thing. If you've got a neutral or an acid soil, you could grow something as a, a heath relative called um, Pernetia. Pernetia, is that right? Um, it has pink, white and sort of plum coloured berries, providing you have a male and a female. It's a bit like having holly. You don't, you won't get berries if you haven't got a male and a female. Um, and I was actually given by somebody at the weekend, Joe Sharman brought me the most wonderful holly with bright orange berries. Thought is, this is what for you when you have a garden that's big enough. <laughs> and, and I suddenly thought, you know, well, not everybody's going to like red berries or like uh, other coloured berries than red. They think holly having red berries, Christmas time, Christmas cards, and they stick the living holly with the pontetius for all I care, because all these other lovely colours, they all make up the spectrum for to bring winter interest. Yeah. Um, and that box is going to light up a little shady corner. Yeah. You've already got the yellow berried holly, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah, it's called yeah. East Rust and Gold. That was named by Susan Andrews, a holly expert and, and a taxonomist that used to work at Kew years yeah. ago. Yeah. And since yeah. 1972, she's been, this is a piece of useless information, since 1972, she's been searching for the white-buried holly. Oh. Now, there was somewhere in Northern Ireland, um, a white-buried holly was reported many years ago, but nobody's ever found it. And I just wonder whether it could be a little bit of a wise, you know, an old wives' tale, or were they having a little bit too much of the hard stuff, do you think? <laughs> I, I haven't been looking for it as long, but I've got a similar mythical white plant that I'm after. That's the double white-flowered version of Vinca minor. Oh. I've never heard of it. So, I'm, you know, there's there's Azurea floriplina with double yep. blue flowers. There's Multiplex with double purply red. And supposedly there is Alba Plena with a double white flower. I've never seen a photograph of it, never seen a plant. I did have contact once with somebody in the Midlands who said that it, ex it existed at an agricultural college there. And he would got permission to go and dig some up. 
got there to find that that entire bit had re-landscaped with the JCB the week before and it had all gone. Uh-huh. Now, whether that was true or not, I don't know, but... That yeah. perpetuates the myth, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I always keep my eye open for it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so if anybody's it. listening out there, remember Tim is desperate to get the double <laughs> double white flowered periwinkle. <laughs> yeah, if if it really exists, I'll have it, certainly. Uh, <laughs> right. Um, now, talking of vinkers, I, I forgot I'd brought this one, actually. Um, we were struggling a bit to find one that was in flower, so it's a tiny little specimen, but... Um, this is one which I'm really pleased to have, mostly because there are so many imposters going around under this name. So this is Vinca Minor again. You can see it's a little tiny thing. And we cut all of the trails off these in January. So it stops them spreading so much as they would do. Not that this is a particularly quick one anyway. And it also shows off the flowers at this time of year. Um, and you can just start to see that this one has entirely yellow foliage on it um it's like a lot of things new growth is a bright buttery yellow and it fades through to lime green as it gets older um i have left a little sort of short trail there so you can see last year's growth on that but this is just vinca minor blue and gold um but i say there are lots of um plants going around which are actually oreo variegata which is the yellow and green variegated vinca minor with a blue flower um but this true blue and gold, much slower. I've had it 15 or 18 years or something. And, um, yeah, it's never going to take over and swamp other stuff. But it's always a good, reliable plant that stays where I put it. Um, I got it some, of those, some, some of those more rampant ones that you're talking about, though, they, do, they often surprise you in the most charming of ways, I think, because... Um, you know, they're scrambling around probably underneath some shrubs or a hedge or something, and suddenly a flower will appear at four feet tall it, oh, yeah. Yeah. at the hedge. And, I mean, that is, it, it's rather nice. That yeah. to, Oh, how obliging. Thank you. <laughs> it's funny. I've, I've got a vase here next to me with some cut flowers from a couple that do that. Yeah. Um, oh. So these are much, much bigger vincas. This is vinca deformis. And this pure white form is known as greystone form. I'm not sure it's a, a technically valid name, but the size of those flowers, you stick it next to my, my dirty great thumb. Um, <laughs> they're, they're pretty good size flower on deformis. Yeah. A lot of the books say that it's not particularly hardy, but I've had it for 20 odd years. And yeah, if you get a really hard late frost, it will get blackened, but it always comes back. And if you grow it underneath deciduous shrubs or hedgerow or something, it's protected well enough. Um, we've got this in a couple of places on the nursery, and it's in my slightly wild garden at home here as well. And it just gets on with it. It's not as spreading as quickly as Vinca Major. can be controlled more, but it's the same sort of size. And these white flowers, they start producing them in November normally. And it flowers all the way through the winter with peak in kind of February to April. Um, so really good one for, I say, brightening up those dark, shady corners. Hiding on the other side of the vase, though, and this one's not picked quite so well. There's a flower that's looking half decent there. The others have gone all wilty on me. Um, this has changed its name a few times, but um, I think it's currently Vinca deformis subspecies sardoa but it has also just been vinca sardoa and this has got the biggest flowers i've ever seen on a vinca they're, they're not really in full swing yet but 
they certainly get to a good two inches across when it's really going for it. And like you say, it's it's relatively low, I suppose a couple of feet high when it's it's just growing on in the open. But my particular clump of it backs onto a hawthorn hedge. And some of these I picked by torchlight in the lashing rain last night. Um, <laughs> up at my head height, so they're a good six feet up the hedge. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a do, bit... do those do those flowers go slightly darker as the weather warms up? Hmm. I wouldn't say that I've noticed that. No, we, I don't know what it is. Old. We've got one. It's a common old thing, um, and it's in the woodland garden, and it blooms. Well, it blooms almost the whole winter, but the flowers are very, very pale as the light levels are, uh, uh, are short. The you know the nights are very long, and it, it gets paler and paler and paler. And then as as the spring comes, it gradually gets darker and darker, and it comes to a, probably a not actually mid blue, mid to light blue. It's a good strong mid to light blue. I wonder if that might be the a form of vinca deformis because I, I have got a plant like rampant old thing, and it's um it's kind of a, a whitey mauve as it opens and as the yes. flowers age they go bluer. Yes, um, it's quite different to these two and it, it never makes a dense clump for me. It just wanders around the place. Oh, it wanders hither and yon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas these two make really dense solid clumps or carpets yeah um, and there's, there's a there's a little bit of bramble trying to grow through it but the the ground elder and the nettles have been completely swamped by these two good so, <laughs> they always say right plant in the right place and if you've got yeah. somewhere that needs rampant ground cover then perhaps they're the two um yeah, it's a shame i love periwinkle so much living in a tiny garden i definitely well, need more miners blue and gold would fit certainly yeah <laughs> yeah um I'm going completely opposite extreme though, because I don't know. Yeah, you can just about see that's Sigmund a pot seedlings. Yes. <laughs> um, now I was talking to somebody um, the other day about growing cyclamen from seed because they'd not had much luck, and I was just passing some cyclamen flowers on on some that I I couldn't bring because they're in great big terracotta pots and that just wasn't going to work bringing them in, but. I thought I'll grab one of our pots of seedlings and just just mention those. This is Cyclamen silicium, which is a little small winter flowering one. And these were sown on the 8th of June last summer. And what I do with these is literally as soon as the seed is ripe, which most Cyclamen is around June time, you collect it off the plant and you sow it immediately. And they come up like crests like this. Um, do they have like to go crest? through? Do they germinate straight away or do they need a period of cold? Oh, the, these ones were up in about six weeks last summer. Oh, right. Right. Really Lovely. quick. Yeah. Um, sometimes they wait until the following spring. But now I've, got, I've got a question with that because I know that at the end of each of those leaves, there'll be a tiny little embryo corm like a seed pearl. Um, and I want to know what, what is the optimum time for pricking those out individually? How long do you leave them in that pot? I, I will leave these at least until this summer when they go dormant again. Yeah. Um, I, in all reality, will probably leave them another year as well. Yeah. Uh, so the corn gets slightly bigger. Yeah. I'm, my my fingers and thumbs are too big and clumsy to prick out things that size. I mean, at this age where they are sort of six months old, those little tiny corms are going to be about the size of a fertilizer granule. 
you know, those yeah. Osmocote yeah. granules that everybody thinks are snail eggs. <laughs> That's all they're going to be at that size. And I, I will cause all untold damage if I try pricking them out at this size. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I always leave them at least a year and sometimes two. People, lots of gardeners will say to you and me and, and everybody else and to each other, you know, oh, well, that takes too long. I can't be bothered with all that. You know, it's so long you have to wait and everything else. But if you sow a pot of those every year, yeah, um, you know, I've had the same conversation with Richard Hobbs about growing bulbs from seed in general, really, that, you know, it takes probably three to five to seven years to get a flower sometimes. But if you sow a few every year and it's part of your regime in the garden just to take care of them you know each year you've got something new to look forward to i, I wish i could restrain myself to just a pot or two but um i i i must at the moment have two or three thousand cyclamen seedlings to be pricked out over the next couple of summers and i don't know what i'm going to do with them all but um, i just can't <laughs> stop sowing them so beautiful i mean people who follow you will know when you share photos of the foliage i mean they are stunning I mean, basically all heterofolium ciliatum whichever ones you're growing from seed um mm. the the foliage is just you never seem to know what you're going to get it's so much variation it's so exciting part of the conversation i had with this person who couldn't grow them is, was because they'd been stored and sown them in the spring and they need soaking first but they were also struggling with the peat-free compost that they bought from the garden center and i i don't know if you want to go down that particular rabbit hole but because I've now been peat free for nearly six years on the nursery, I, I'm now getting a fairly steady stream of other nursery people as well as gardeners saying, well, what are you using? How do you do it? Why can't I grow in peat free? So um, I, know, I know at least one other biggish nursery is now using the custom made mix that I have. But I think the biggest thing where people are struggling with peat free is they're going from a pure peat compost one day to a peat free the next. And it's like if, if you go from eating breakfast cereal every day for decades and then try and only eat fruit for breakfast, well, your digestive system is going to let you know about it. And the plants, it, it takes time to learn how to use a completely different compost. So if you make that leap like that, like complete cold turkey, it's hard. And I, I didn't do it and I wouldn't recommend anybody does that. So we actually switched over a period of about eight years. Um, now that's perhaps not gonna be possible with the potential ban on retail sales of peat-based composts this year or maybe next year, whenever the government get around to it. Um, but commercially, peat's gonna be available a little bit longer, maybe another four or five years. But you know, say we've now been peat-free for six years, including in propagation. We've not actually used any peat in our propagating compost for more like 10 years and stuff grows in it. I mean, everything I've shown you today is growing in it. Um, it's just about to getting used to it. It does need slightly different fertilizer. Um, there's a bit of a myth, I think, going around that needs more water. Um, my mix certainly doesn't need more water. I might say it perhaps needs a bit less, um, but it does depend what your compost is made of. But we have lots of different separate ingredients in it. It's not all one thing. So it's not all wood fibre or all bark. We have about seven or eight different ingredients in it, which helps even everything out. So um, I think, you know, they speak for themselves. They're perhaps a little bit drawn because my seed frame's a little bit shaded at this time of year, but they come up like crests and they carry on and grow. 
Um, so it can Yourself be done. speak for themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah, just, you know, there is hope out there for those that have been struggling with switching. Um, An exciting little pot of treasures. And last time I was on, I showed you some of the new Ifeons. Yeah. And there was one and variety that wasn't out. And it is out, sort of. You sent me one the other day, didn't you? Um, did, did I send you this one? I can't remember now. I don't um, know. It's a blue one, I think. Uh, okay, yeah. I think we, we might have sent you Rigel. This is the strongest. I had to bring two because I wasn't sure which one would be out well enough. But this is the strongest pink flowered one that I've found so far. And it's got the most boring, terrible name. It's just called Dusky Pink. <laughs> um, as far as I know, it's come, come from Julian Sutton down in Devon. Always been a good source of interesting bulbous plant material. Oh, he, he has ceased selling now, I believe. But um, yeah, if you like Ifeons, can grow them well. They they like well-drained soils. Sort of foot of a south or west-facing wall would suit them well in a lot of gardens. Again, they're winter flowering. Um, with us, they start around November, and they sort of peak flowering in March. Um, but yeah, many months of flower out of them. So they're jolly useful from the point of view that you get these little stretches in the middle of winter where you have a, a bit of a cold snap and then it warms up gradually a little bit and everyone's saying oh we're way above the average temperature of a day um there's a garden near us they've, they've got this a plain um pale blue ifion and it's yeah. growing at the foot of a hedge facing south yeah. um and it does exceptionally well and i mean it sits there nobody touches it nobody does anything to it and it's there every year and it starts blooming at the end of the year and then just carries on and as you say the peak time is probably march april yeah yeah, and they, they come from South America, but they love those sort of Mediterranean type. Well, that was going to be my next question, because I, I thought it was a Mediterranean plant, you see. No, I've, one of the other ones I've got, um, I found Uniflorum subspecies Tandiliense, if I remember rightly, comes from a single mountain. Watch your mouth out with soap and water, young man. But it just comes from this one mountain. I think it's just outside Buenos Aires. Um, so I'm I'm slightly assuming, but I I believe all of the other Ifeons are from from South America as well. That's interesting. But yeah. if, I always say if you can grow things like Iris unguicularis well, which yeah. like that summer baking, well drained yeah. sunny spot. You just sound an idea, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I think but, this is going to line your pockets. <laughs> well, I've got a few of them left. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm growing more and more of these to take out to these winter talks because it's yeah. nice having not just something with a flower on in the winter but if you don't handle them too much you get the really sweet scent from the flowers particularly in the evening so really useful when you go out to a garden club of a, a january evening you, you warm them up in the car nicely on the way there and they're, <laughs> they're letting this lovely perfume out but as soon as people start handling them you realise that they're a member of the Allium family because the foliage, when you crush it, move it, snap it, absolutely reeks of onion and garlic. So um, it's one of those plants for look, don't touch if you want the nice <laughs> scent from them. Um, but they work nicely. I've, I've grown them in a big terracotta pot and you just bring them in for a few days at a time and have them in the house if, the, if your house isn't too warm for them and then enjoy that scent in the winter. Um, so, uh, wonderful. Yeah. I'll catch up on that one since it wasn't out last year. Um, we're nearly there. I've got it is, this, this conversation is so entertaining because you do. I mean, I, you know, you say you learn something. I didn't know you see that the Ibians come primarily from 
South America. So I've learned something today. Amongst, oh, amongst all the other things that you were thrown up, they're probably in here and I don't remember straight away. <laughs> yeah. But they will resurface. it. That's where having a recording to go back to is useful, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, now, we've always grown quite a lot of hardy geraniums, and I haven't got as many now as I used to. Um, they were really my mum's thing, and after she died, and I had to kind of take over the entire nursery catalogue, I just couldn't keep up with everything. But we've still got quite a lot. I've, I've kind of concentrated on those that other people aren't growing, um, particularly those that are possibly slightly more quirky or odd and that means I do have quite a few of these winter green summer dormant geraniums and these are mostly Mediterranean um, this one's geranium libani um, there are a few different versions of it in cultivation at the moment but this is a wild collected form um, I try and remember where it came from no I can't um, have I put it on the label no eastern Mediterranean somewhere is all I can say that Libani bit refers to Lebanon, as far as I know, like Cedrus libani. Mm. Um, but these grow their leaves somewhere between October and January. Um, different forms of it seem to leaf up at different times. This is a, a sort of October leafing version. They have their leaves all through the winter and they make these, these low patches, only a few inches tall. And then they flower in spring, maybe just into early summer, as the leaves are dying off. And by the time you get into June, July, they've gone completely dormant for the summer and they disappear. So they something again for a sunny, well-drained Mediterranean type position. But if you've got somewhere at the foot of a wall or a hedge that just bakes and dries out too much in the summer, they're exactly the sort of thing that should grow quite well there. Um, and they're um, blue flowers up well above the foliage the, the leaves only a few inches high the flowers up to sort of 10 12 inches high on most of them and a good rich blue with darker purpley blue veining um so geranium libani and um, reasonably available um, it's got this lovely glossy leaf and it's going to be a nightmare to see with the, the light shining on it but in the the junctions of the leaf divisions you get a little chocolate brown spot on them as well not always that visible but um it just adds a distinction to it from some of the it's others. Just a, a lovely lustrous leaf at this time of year. Yeah, and it's just really nice shiny. to see a geranium leaf like that looking all healthy in February. Yeah, and one of its cousins that I brought along here, um, not quite so shiny. I'm trying to line it up so you can see it's got much more chocolate marking on the leaf than Libani has. Unfortunately, this is where having the name written down in front of you is helpful because it's a real mouthful of a a plant name i always have to look up how to spell it this is geranium peloponnesiacum from the peloponnese which um greece certainly i'm not sure if they there's a mountain range i'm not sure if they spill over into any of the neighboring countries but it's got the same habit grows its leaves in november december and it's a bit lower as you, you can see it's about half the height of libani in leaf um, but really nice winter carpet of foliage again um and again, it flowers late spring, early summer before disappearing and going dormant. Um, and that one's dripping all over my desk. <laughs> What's the colour of that one, Tim? Again, it's a, a really rich blue. Um, Peloponnesiacum, I've not seen any variation really in it. They all seem to be the same. Um, a lovely deep sort of royal blue with darker veining in it. And whereas Libani is a fairly typical sort of saucer-shaped flower, 
Peloponnesiacum does tend a bit more towards a windmill type shape. You get a bit of a gap between the petals. And yeah. I know not everybody likes that, but it doesn't bother me. It's just nice to have something that's green and fresh looking all winter. Exactly. They're great. So, um, I've got one other evergreen here. Um, push my label out of the way. Um, oh dear, this is really drippy, this one. I've obviously got to the, the wet wet bit of the day when I was picking these out. Trying not to soak my keyboard here. Um, can you see that at all? It's it's really dark, isn't it? Trying is it a lamium? It is, yes. Hey. It is a super compact dwarf lamium, though. Um, so this is a form of lamium galliobdolan, which, of course, British native, um, the yellow archangel. I'm lucky here don't have to go too far into Suffolk to see the, the wild type growing in some ancient woodland still, but um, the usual yellow version is quite rare in this country now, I think. Um, but this is a variety which originated in Scotland called Kukubri Dwarf. And this is super compact. Um, it's, I mean, this plant growing in a pot is maybe an inch and a half tall. Um, it does produce runners. I've left a few on here because I want to take cuttings off them this afternoon. And it's got this silver marbling on the leaf. And in the winter, the whole thing is flushed with purple as well. It will be much more green and silver in the summer. Um, and it produces these little short spikes, just a few inches high, with these lovely butter yellow flowers on the spring as well. Um, and it's nowhere near as spreading as the usual forms. And the, the common form of Lamium galliobdolan you see is Florentinum, I think it's called, the, the Italian version, which is huge and rampant, goes absolutely everywhere. Um, but this um, Kakubri dwarf, really sweet choice plant, I'd say. Um, I, like many compact dwarf things, it's only failing is it doesn't produce enough propagation material. That's um, for a nurseryman. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's handy for someone like me, but it's you're never going to see it in a garden centre because you can't produce it in in large volumes. No, I didn't know this existed. I've always had a real place in my heart for the Yellow Archangel. I, I can't say its Latin name. I've I've never dared say it in any kind of broadcast format. But uh, but the Yellow Archangel, I actually bought when I first got into gardening. I'd seen it in gardens, and because <laughs> you don't you don't see it for sale in garden centres. I bought a, a bit off uh, off eBay, and uh, obviously the next thing, my kind of end of my mum's garden was like full of it. <laughs> which I was very happy with because I love it. But this is much more suitable for a small garden. So thank you for introducing me to it. It's, it's um, a, a good doer when it's settled in, but um, yeah, very small compared to any of the other forms. I'd just like to say that this conversation and the plants that we've seen today, I think proves the importance of a, of an, a proper plant nursery. I mean, garden centres, okay, they have their place and and as do you know proper nurserymen but unless you go to a nursery where the plants are actually propagated and grown by the owner um probably not commercially but because they simply liked um and <laughs> you know you won't find these these little gems and it's so important i think to i mean i mentioned how good your packaging is when i received my parcel um this week it was a, a, an absolute joy and everything was packed so beautifully um, but I would urge people to look at the Plantsman's Preference website and have a look at it. I mean, don't, it doesn't matter whether you can or can't go to the nursery, but you, I mean, they are open to the public as of March, I think, aren't you, Tim? 
Yeah, yeah, I think it actually works out. The first of March we opened. Well, it was my birthday, Tim. I might come and beg a present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and also, you might see Tim at the Fuller's Mill Snowdrop Days on the twenty-first and the twenty-third of February, um, which uh, obviously you and and plenty of other uh, sellers with glorious snowdrop and other uh, plants for for February interest. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm I'm going along with all of the complementary plants rather than the snowdrops. But um, on the 21st, Rod Leeds should be there as well, who's one of those super admired people in my world at any rate. I mean, I always feel like a complete idiot who knows nothing when I start talking to Rod about plants. And there's, there's a few no, people... He's such a generous like, man as well, isn't he? I was, I, you, know, you know, I mentioned to him years ago about a, a plant that I was looking for and I'd been struggling to get the real thing. I kept getting imposters. And he said, oh, well, I've, I've got a plant of that in the garden. I'll, I'll get you a bit off sometime. And I forgot all about it. And that it was five or six years or something. He walks up to me and presents me with a plant of it that he's, he's <laughs> popped it up for me. So, yeah, I mean, he's got better memory than me as well. Uh, but, yeah, it's one of those and it comes with age with every everybody you you learn far more plants the more you grow but yeah. um i yeah i i doubt i will know i think well i think i'd just like to say walking around your nursery is an education in itself um and you said to me so i think i picked up if i remember cor correctly it's that tender grass so um something palmifolia ceteria Ceteria palmifolia. And you yeah. looked at me and you said, don't you grow that? And I said, yes, I do. But your plants look better than mine do. <laughs> uh, some, sometimes it's just chance, isn't it? Um, yes. Yes, it is. It may, uh, makes I think, I think go see the plants for the preference nursery because you, that's an education in itself. Well worth the effort. As is oh, your we... website, which you've got lots of lovely photos and things on. So uh, and great descriptions and it, you know lots of detail basically on your plant listings mm -hmm. so people can get a really good idea of hardiness and interest uh, time of year yes. and stuff in in process of a bit of an upgrade at the moment is the website and oh. um, hopefully before the end of february it will get a revamp on the the guts that run the the checkout bit at least and a, a bit of a refresh on how it looks to to people as well but as part of that i'm realizing just how many photos I've got to add for new plants that we've been adding in the as the problem with adding plants to the website it takes five minutes just to stick the plant on it takes another 10 or 20 minutes to find the photograph of it edit it and stick that in as well so yeah. in spring and summer when we peak adding new things all the time I don't have time to do the photos so the plants go on without a photo and I supposedly catch up in the winter but, well, so, I think I think people will understand that because I mean, quite often I sit and I'm looking at, at a website, and if it hasn't got a photograph, I, I'm tick 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 on my phone to get the photograph up. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's yeah. all right if the search engine doesn't lie to you and show you photographs of something. Well, that's true. Yes, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have to know what you're doing sometimes uh, in that. Now, if you um if you're listening to this and thinking I have some strange noises in the background, I've got a dog singing over there in the kitchen because <laughs> she's been for a walk and is wet. And I've got a child chirruping upstairs playing with daddy. So I think they're all giving me a bit of a hint that I'm supposed to, to wind up my podcast recording uh, before I get a full cacophony going on in the house. Uh, of course, we haven't done any flomo yet, though if you're like Alan and I, you are undoubtedly swimming in all of the flowers, the plants that you've got a fear of missing out about after Tim's wonderful show and tell. Um, 
as ever, uh, I've got so much FOMO, not just from today, <laughs> though, obviously, I mean, that kaleidoscope earlier, that I, 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 I need that in my life. But going back to things that I'd seen previously on your Instagram, the other day you posted a little saxifrage, uh, mm. saxifragus stolonifera nuz and ginger. Well, you're braver than me. <laughs> well, I won't say the yellow archangel at Lamium, but I will I will have a go at the saxifrage, which had big green leaves with this intricate silvery veining. Um, and I went and looked and saw a couple of pictures of it as an actual carpet, and it was stunning, you know, forming a mat of these leaves, which are so big, was... Oh, I mean, probably not for this garden, but I would love that in a future garden. Looked absolutely gorgeous. So clearly, something that you are, are trying out. Do you like it? Is it going well for you? Yeah, and I only got that form last summer. Um, but I said on the Instagram post, it's to replace another one called Saitu Silver, which I very carelessly managed to sell every plant I owned of. Um, <laughs> the the sort of um, downside of growing in most of my stock plants in pots just occasionally you slip up and a batch that should have been kept back for stock gets sold and Saitu silver i think if i remember rightly that was introduced by blethen and sue win jones from creek farm the name on that one i, I learned how to pronounce it but spelling it's still a bit of an, an issue um i think that came now i may be misspeaking i think that was from taiwan it was exactly the same pattern, that big, broad green leaf with the silvery veining in it, but it had a, a more solid edge to it without the sort of fringing that this new one has got. Um, and yeah, I've been without Saitu Silver for several years, so I've been keep keeping my eye open for it, but nobody in the UK seemed to have it anymore. Um, seems to be available in in the US, and I've seen one nursery in Japan listing it, but um, no, nobody here seemed to have it anymore, so... When this new one came up, I thought, ouch, it's expensive, but I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so hopefully it will, will propagate itself like Stolonifera's usually do. They they make runners just like strawberry. Yeah. Um, and within a year or two, I will have some spare. But if I well, don't kill look, it in the meantime. It looks fabulous, Alan. It definitely will look wonderful at, at East Ruston Old Vicarage. Uh, well, I just thought I'd get some for the woodland garden because yeah. it'd be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tim, where are you at with your flomo? Uh, well, it's funny. I I can't choose between two, so can I cheat Over and two. mention two? <laughs> and these are things. Um, well, one of the first one at least is something that I keep seeing here, there, and everywhere, both in real life and and on the the dreaded Instagram. And um, <laughs> it, it's it's a shrub, and the reason I haven't bought it yet is because I'm trying to be good, and I know I don't have anywhere to put it yet. So I'm going to wait until I've got somewhere suitable and then get it. And it's one of these euonymus that produces the really pretty berries. And I'm yeah, going to mangle the name a bit. Euonymus myrianthus with these amazing glowing sort of leucozade orange berries on it. And the particular one I'm looking at is a, a Mikinori Ogisu collection, 93309. I do like a good collection number as well. That's the... Um, the the geek in me with with plants, um, and I think this is a more it's a it's a more saturated color than I've seen on other versions of it. The others tend to be sort of orangey green, and this is a much richer orange. Um, I'm saying berries. It's the seed pod that's orange, 
And as the pod opens, it shows a more red berry inside. Um, but it's stunning. But I know it's going to need a reasonably sheltered spot. So probably not for me at the minute. The other one is a hydrangea. Again, not for me at the minute because it also wants somewhere more sheltered. Um, and this is something that Matt Reese, who's head gardener down at Malvoli's house, posted on Instagram. Oh, it was late last year sometime. Hydrangea aspera strigosa. Oh. And it, unlike the normal asperas that have a relatively broad leaf that I know will get shredded on our site because we're too windy, this has a really narrow, fine, long, willowy leaf that looks quite, I'm going to say hard. It looks tough to me. It's shiny. And it's got the usual hydrangea aspera lace cappy type head with all those pink um, fertile buds that open to a blue flower surrounded with odd white bracty sterile flowers um, and yeah it looks stunning but I know that we're too exposed for it at the minute as well so in the future when I've got a more sheltered spot somewhere for it um, I might need a bit of a mortgage for both of them though I think <laughs> you're showing such great restraint Tim I'm very impressed uh, Alan, I'm assuming that you've got many, 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 many flomos at this point in time. Well, I'll take those two that Tim just mentioned for a start. Because <laughs> we do, we grow quite a lot of hydrangea aspera in the garden here. Um, and with, there's a couple of places where I've actually got a couple of self-sown seedlings. One is um, a, a, a bit of an also-ran. I mean, it's growing. It's growing in the in the secret garden, and I mean, it needs a jolly good prune this year. Um, and it's not that wonderful. But the other one's growing in part of the woodland garden, uh, the winter garden, um, and that has very good. The outer bracts on the flower head are really, really good purple, um, and the 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 real flowers in the middle, that little cushiony bit in the middle, they are quite a good. Well, mauve really. They're slightly lighter than the outside, which I think is quite unusual. Um, so the, the Aspira strigosa would, would suit me very well to have a go with that. Uh, my other flomos all come from today. Um, there's a couple of others that are um, Lamium curcubri dwarf, something that I think would look rather good growing in our woodland garden, as would um, a late winter, early spring um, pulmonaria mollis. Now, when it says mollis, why the, whenever a plant says mollis, I tend to think it was a common old thing. <laughs> Um, probably because you think you're probably a Bacanthus mollus or something like that, you know. Um, or Alcamilla. Yeah, Alcamilla, Alcamilla, yeah. Yes, of course. What about that? I've forgotten that one. Um, but uh, Pulmonaria, the one that starts flowering really early like that, I think it'd be a valuable addition to the garden. It could, it could cross over from the winter garden to the woodland garden um, and just lengthen the season. So there, they are my... Well, they're not all of it, are they? And I want all one of each of those ivies that Tim showed and all the rest of it. I knew this was going to happen, but there you are. I'm no, I'm always surprised just how much it does. Yeah, well, Alan's <laughs> off for a shopping spree, I think, Tim. So you've done your job well. Hopefully, many other people as well. I'm trying to not buy plants at the moment because, as you can hear in the background, probably there's a, a small person who's occupying both my uh, time and my budget. So. <laughs> we'll try and not buy too many plants but my goodness tim you have come with such an amazing array of show and tell as ever <laughs> as ever thank you so so much for dredging about in the rain to get them for dripping them all over your body and your desk 
to show them to us on the, the podcast. And as ever, full plant list in the show notes for this. So if you didn't manage to catch one of the more complex names that we didn't even dare say, then uh, then they will be written down for you uh, in even if you're just watching them, listening to the audio one. Don't forget that Tim will be at Fuller's Mill in Suffolk near Bury St Edmunds on February the 21st, and I think 24th, wasn't it? The 3rd. 24th and 23rd. 21st yeah, and 23rd. Um, Wednesday and Friday. A wonderful selection of plants that you really knew you couldn't live without. <laughs> <laughs> Until yes. next time, which hopefully won't be in the too distant future, Tim, thank you very much. Happy gardening, everybody. Thank you. Happy gardening, everyone. Bye-bye. Nice to Bye-bye. see you. Too. Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.